This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Improve your development skills by completing coding exercises that are peer-reviewed by real humans. Learn more at upcase.com. All right. Ah, shit. Hold on. Charlie horse. (laughs) That's random. I'm so dehydrated, man. (laughs) Yep. I'm like on day three of dehydrated. I'm really glad you got that, Charlie Horse, because we didn't have anything to lead the episode off with. We do now. Hey, everybody. This is Gordon and Mark. We're both in San Francisco, and this is Build Phase. Hey. Hey. How's it going? It's really weird to see you guys. I know. So we're here in San Francisco, Tom and I. For our Thoughtbot Summer Summit 2014, which has been a shit show, <laughs> all things considered. A good one. Yeah, no, a great shit show, but like 100% shit show. The whole office smells of beer. Yeah, yeah, easily. <laughs> Big flip cup game broke out last night. Um, Who won that, by the way? Does anyone win? Nobody wins. <laughs> nobody wins flip cup. Everyone makes it till the end of flip cup. <laughs> who, who lost? last and flip cup blake (laughs) (laughs) but then he lost in a big way yeah Uh uh-huh oh god keg stands people are doing keg stands well caleb was doing keg stands he lost first (laughs) rough night good show (laughs) (laughs) um i don't know what do you want to talk about what did we do last week on the show? Uh, well, like... Just in general? Work. Like Monday through Wednesday, you mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Polished stuff? Started moving over to protocols more. We did more of that organization, like moving stuff to an author. Error handling. Did we talk about error handling last week? Not really. I think it's kind of interesting. Okay. So basically in this app, we wanted to be able to easily alert the user or have an actionable thing whenever whenever any error happens in the app at the networking layer specifically. So, you know, it should be flexible enough that if they enter the wrong username and password, then we can display a message. Or if they don't have network connectivity, we can display a message. And we want it to be low level and flexible and have as small of a footprint as possible. So basically what we kind of ended up doing, so in this network stack, we have this API client class. We've talked about this a few times, but we have this API client class that acts as essentially a facade for, and kind of like a glue layer for the various request objects that we build and the model factories that we pass the return JSON into. So like this API client class, it has for all intents and purposes, like one method that just performs, that sends the request down to the actual networking client that performs requests and parses JSONs and JSONs. <laughs> this is going to be a good show. Uh, it parses JSON and transforms any response outside of the 200 range, HTTP response outside of the 200 range, it turns that into an NS error, wraps up JSON parsing errors and all that stuff. So. Anytime we make a request in the system, we get back a JSON, an ID, typed ID, JSON, and 
not and, or an error object. We only ever get one of those two back. So the first thing we ended up doing was, so the problem with this API client was that we had a lot of duplication because every single endpoint in the system ended up getting the request that it needed to get, passing it to the networking client through a helper method, parsing the JSON when it came back. It would have to handle any error state itself, each endpoint, you know, so fetch current user would have to do all these things. Um, it'd have to handle errors and then also push everything back onto the main thread and perform the completion block. So there's a lot of duplication around. We, had, we were basically punting on the error handling, right? Like we didn't have any error handling in the app because we weren't sure what we wanted it to look like, but that would have had to go in each one of those methods. There's a lot of duplication around this idea that Anytime a success block is called, we want it to happen on the main thread. That's basically it. I mean, that's that's. Oh, and then there's a lot of duplication around safety with handling the completion blocks. Always having to do, you know, if we have a completion block, then call it, you know. And so the first thing we ended up doing was refactoring that down. We looked at it and we had a lot of duplication in the code and then a lot of duplication in the tests as well. So we were able to refactor it down so that basically every endpoint now is a thin wrapper around a single method that's tested on the API client itself, which is perform request with parsing block. And then there's a block where you're able to return an object and then success block. And then you're just passing the success block that you got through most of the time. And what this allowed us to do is one, all that duplication went away in both the tests and the production code, because we're able to move all of that logic about what does this success block look like? What does, you know, is the success block happening on the main thread? When is the parsing happening? All this stuff. We're able to push that into the central method where we're able to test it thoroughly. We deleted, I don't know, man, I feel like I deleted, how many endpoints do you think we have? 20? Yeah. 25? Yeah, something like that. So that's so I deleted 20, 25 tests that were all just testing that the callback happens on the main thread. Not a useful thing to test every single time. And this led to much like a much nicer, I think, like all the endpoint specific category. So we have we have this built out basically that we have the API client and then every group of endpoints has a category on the API client. So there's like a users category, a posts category comments comments authentication right so we're just grouping these common the api endpoints by basically their i don't know yeah and type well from the server side you could think of it as like the first path component after the base right. url right each one of those gets its own api client category yeah so the, yeah. the the restful resources on the server and so then when we want to set up the error handling all of a sudden it got really, really easy because there's this one very clear place. Every every endpoint hooks into this one spot. So there's one specific place that we can check for an error and do something with it. So the, the, the way we ended up dealing with the error handling was in the API client to basically do nothing. The only difference that we have inside the API client when we actually get a error is that we don't execute the parsing block. 
So the the return the block that all of the API client classes return is a Boolean success value and then an ID object. And then specific endpoints have that ID object casted to what they're actually going to be. So if you're if you're fetching a list of posts instead of in your completion block having ID object, it's going to be cast to um, NSRA posts, just so you have a little clarity implementing this stuff. So we're able to centralize that logic of did this request succeed or not, just by checking to see if there was an error returned from the networking client, and then pass that through so that the view layers or the view model layers, wherever we're doing the network access, has this simple Boolean that it can check to see if it was a successful request or not. So they punched in the wrong username and password. All the, lo all the login screen knows is that that request didn't succeed. That's it. And so by not executing the parsing block, we ensure that that success block is always going to have yes, it was successful, and an object to do something with, or no, it wasn't successful, and nil for the object. So that's the only functional difference if, there, if we encounter an error. And then the other thing we do is we just post a notification from the API client. We just say, just generally, hey, the API client encountered an error. And then it passes the NS error. And that's it. It doesn't care at that point, right? And it kind of shouldn't. So then higher up the stack in the application view controller. Right. I don't know if we've talked about that, but uh, we've talked about that a little bit. So this is this idea of like we have this view controller sitting on top of everything, sitting on top of the entire application. Everything is contained inside this view controller. So we have this kind of nice place that's omnipresent. It's going to be there, and it just listens for those um, error notifications. And right now, all it does is it hands the error to a little transformer class that figures out what the string representate, what the user facing string for that error should be, returns that string, and then the application view controller just posts a UI alert view right now. But it'll be super easy to change that out to a custom error dialog later. I'm gonna stop playing with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, but the important bit here is that if you're gonna go with something like this, the server has to provide the user-facing strings that you're going to display in your application. Right, right. So we went we went through this long process of trying to figure out how exactly do we map error messages or error states to a user-facing string that's going to be useful at all. And we were talking about like holding on to the request that we sent and trying to match up the request with the error status code and then generating a string just based on that combination. But like that just doesn't scale. That doesn't feel like it scales at all. We also talked about having the server return specific like error code numbers, like outside of the HTTP response code, like a error 37. And then we just know that error 37 is, you know, username and password is incorrect. But even that means that the server is already aware of what went wrong and we have to do additional information stuff on our end to map that to something useful in the application. And they do too. And they do too. 
they're taking what's wrong and turning it into a unique code, sending right. it, and we're just turning it back. Right. And of course, the advantage here is that what? No, sorry. <laughs> I don't know why so many people. I don't know what happened, dude. We we've like over the past week. I'm serious. Over the past week, the build phase Twitter client, Twitter, whatever the hell thing, has gotten like 20, 30 followers. So if you're not following, you're missing out. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty great over there how we never tweet from it. Yeah. Whatever. Hang on. I'm taking a picture of you. I'm going to post it for our fans. <laughs> okay. Um, I was about to say that, that you know, obviously with this approach, if you want to customize the error messages, um, that's easy to do because you can just change them on the server and redeploy and not have to ship a brand new application just to update your error messages. Right. I mean, so, so yeah, we, we talked to this, we talked to the server team. We came up with a JSON. Oh, like I also did a bunch of research. So like looking at what does GitHub do? What does Twitter do? What does app.net do? Like all these APIs, what do all these different APIs do? And a lot of them send user facing strings back themselves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just think that that makes the most sense. One of the things that I think makes it work better is that it means that we can implement on our end the error handling and provide a generic default message, right? Uh, I'm sorry, something went wrong, please try again. And we can display that unless we get back a message. And then if we, get, if we do get back a specific message, then we can display that. So what that means is that we can put this in place and then there's zero overhead on the server team. Like they don't, ha it doesn't matter if they get to this today or tomorrow or a week from now, because all they have to do is it's very little work on their end to just add these error messages in. And once they add them into the responses, it will work on the client. So it means that, that they can work more iteratively and focus on messaging specific places, right? So we can say, we're getting a lot of people that are confused on this screen, or there are a lot of errors happening over here. And we can focus the messaging on those specific places so that we can be as clear as possible and as helpful as possible. One of the things I think we, we could do here too is because it's all generated on the server side, if there is a known bug that's currently being fixed, like if something goes down, we can change the error messaging to be instructive based on this like temporary state that we're in. You know what I mean? If, re if, if registration, for example, just stops working on the server, we can say like in the rare message, you know, the server can just send back a string that says, we're currently experiencing issues with registration. Please try again in 15 minutes. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think that's cool. I think that's, it, it, it makes a lot more sense than us just not knowing what went wrong and having to generate these strings. And then if we want to change the copy in the strings and we have to build an entire new app, you know, how does localization work at this approach? So I, I imagine that, you know, we can send up in our request, a header, it's a, an accept language mm -hmm. and use NS locale to get the user's preferred language and send that up. Do you know enough about rails to say that like they can easily capture that information and then decide to show a localized error message using localization on their side, like back down. Yeah. I think that sounds totally realistic. Um, cause I know that they have the I 18 N stuff. That's, 
actually probably more powerful than like our strings, dits, and strings, files, and stuff like that, you know? So yeah, right now, we can localize the generic string. So there's three error cases that the server can't handle. The generic error message, when we didn't get a message back from the server. Uh, JSON parsing error message, right? We got an unexpected response back that couldn't be parsed. Mm -hmm. And reachability stuff. You don't have an internet connection. <laughs> you know, server can't tell us that. So for those, we just use our own localization stuff, obviously. And that's fairly straightforward. But yeah, I do think that we can just modify the headers to send an, a language. And then as far as I know, that's fairly straightforward on their end to then localize back the response. Which again, means that we could move faster with this than we would have been able to otherwise. You know what I mean? Like if we need to localize error messages for every locale, then again, that's every time, that's a new build, that's a lot of work getting all that stuff set up here versus iteratively generating localized error messages for the locales that are hitting those error messages more often, mm -hmm. you know? From the, from the UI side, I feel like this is another good argument for application view controllers. I still have yet yes. to find a reason not to do this. Yeah. So having this thing at the bottom, basically, of the view, of the view controller stack, it's, I see it as like a sandbox. Like the whole app is running inside of this thing. We can easily present notifications that come down from the top, mm -hmm. you know, do whatever we want, and be guaranteed that it's going to appear over top of all of the content. Mm -hmm. And because it's a view controller, we can tell the application view controller that... Um, we can say when we're showing this error thing and it, it itself will probably be a child view controller. We can say you're now responsible for the status bar appearance. Yep. So we can hide it. Like when this thing appears, mm -hmm. we can change the color if we need to. It's incredibly flexible. <laughs> I, I can't see starting a project now and not having an application view yeah, controller. No, it makes so much yeah. sense. I think I would, I think I'm always going to use this that specifically, you know what I mean? Like, and with MVVM, you have a, a corresponding application view model. That's a great place to set up all yep. of the sort of, if you're using persistence, set up your core data stack and start propagating your managed object context down through view models. So view models beget view models and just keep passing it down by reference. It, it's a great place to like start the chain yeah. right there. Yeah, I've been super happy with that. I think that the biggest thing for me on this project has been validating assumptions that we've had you know, we've, we've had these conversations about here's how, like, I think that we can do things this way. You know what I mean? We did some little experiments here and there. This app has just completely validated, I'd say 90% of those assumptions that we were making based on how we could do things, all things equal, you know, and it's come out, we've hit snags, you know, I still think that we have some work to do in terms of view models, understanding how to work networking into them. You know what I mean? I think that's the big sticking point. And then using more protocols, you know what I mean? Getting away from, you know, very rigid view models that take a post and move towards view models that just take a thing that can be displayed in this specific view. So the, the view model is going to be coupled to the view. But that doesn't mean the view model necessarily has to be coupled to the model, right? Got it. You mean like a specific type of model? Yeah. yeah. It, it, it it's really going to be coupled to the model somehow because it's just a translation layer. But 
I think that, you know, if we start moving towards, like, we've identified these patterns, right? There's two basic view models that we have. We have a view model that represents a single item, and we have view models that represent a collection of items. I think there's some work that we can do there to pull those out into superclasses or into a generic pattern that can be reused everywhere. And categories are going to, or not categories, protocols help with that. We are kind of treading into the territory of DCI. Have we talked about DCI on the show before? Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's very different from MVC. Yeah. But essentially there, the importance is not on like where you're putting your behavior, like in the MVC buckets. Mm-hmm. It's more that you're just making plain old objects and then objects can sort of like step into these roles and in a certain context, they know how to respond to this thing. And Objective-C protocols are perfect for that. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like... Um, you know, you, you don't care about who's serving you your dinner at a restaurant. It's just you want a server. You want somebody that's trained to do this. But, yep. like, they have lots of other skills. Like, yep. they go rock climbing on the weekend. But <laughs> they're also a server. Like, and yeah. that's all you really care about. Right. And it's more in the vein of that. So it does sound like we're moving away from, like, concrete types for behavior and more just, like, things calling out saying, I can do this. And then other things saying, I just need somebody that can do this. Yeah. They're the task rabbits of programming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's cool. I'm less and less worried about mvc it's you a know? good starting point and what mvc uh yeah it's, it's a good beginner's course in yeah. um, separating your logic out mm-hmm. in in a way that makes sense mm-hmm. and it's weird that coco is built on top of this mvc concept but i feel like most of the execution out there is horrible of mvc you know what i mean like there was that talk at wwc this year about advanced application architecture with uh did that uh colin barrett and andy matushak yeah and it's a good talk but i think we were both disappointed because it was stuff that not you know it wasn't as advanced as it sounded like it was going to be at least well, it, it was all great it was all great stuff it was all you know pull objects out of your view controllers you know don't pull your delegates and data sources out of the view controllers like you know separation concerns single responsibility principle all these kind of things that are fairly basic I think, basic concepts that people should be following. I was disappointed that there wasn't more talk about what I see as actually advanced stuff, you know, kind of the MVVM stuff, the the really trying to, you know, pull the threads apart and, and get to a more interesting architecture. But I was also really disappointed that the community is at a place where that is billed as an advanced talk because I think that should be how we're starting. I think that should be the beginning of the conversation is that MVC doesn't mean put everything in your view controller. Breaking apart concerns is part of MVC. That's part mm-hmm. of what you should be doing. Yeah. You know, the, its biggest problem is the ambiguity of what is a controller. Yes. And the way you answer that when you're new is, well, it's anything that's not a model or a view because it doesn't fit. Like, obviously these are, you know, these simple data objects are models. And these are UI view subclasses, so they're clearly views. And then you have all this gray area in the middle where like, well, I have to make an app here. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I guess these are controllers. Yeah. When that's not right. Right. Like, you can't make an app and just hope everything's gonna fit neatly into these three little buckets. Right. It's constantly finding new places to like lay things out and have them connected and have everything hang together in a nice way. And I don't feel like MVC gets you there in a production scale application. Right. There are a lot of places that if we had been doing MVC or, you know, quote unquote MVC, basically, I said, I think I said this in the last show or the show before, but just that there were like with the deletion stuff, that would have been 10 times easier had we just been dealing with a view controller and a model. You know what I mean? Like 
if we had been in this, like we would have blown through that. I think that what we ended up with is far more robust and was able to be like the fact that it just started working on other screens almost magically is I think a sign that we, we were correct in this, you know, our, again, our assumptions on what we, how we could handle it panned out like that worked. But I was very conscious of the fact that it, we were making it harder for ourselves because of this architecture decision that we were bullish about maintaining, you know, harder in a specific way, harder in that the architecture got more complex. I want to put quotes around that, but like it got more complex than just basically a couple callbacks and a deletion animation. Do you think that's because we didn't go far enough? Like, are there still things to learn? Or is there something just fundamentally wrong? Like, it's just a rough spot of MVVM when you have to do the kinds of interactions that we do. Uh, probably both. I think probably both. I think that's a hard problem, especially in MVVM. But I also think that, like, I think that we can go further. I think that there is something, we keep saying this over the course of this project, but that there's, there's still something in this architecture missing. There's some piece that we don't quite have yet mm -hmm. that is it's like right there it's like just out of view and i feel like if we could figure out what that is and pull it in maybe it's maybe it's reactive cocoa you know what i mean i i honestly don't know it could absolutely be that we pull reactive cocoa in and start learning that and all of a sudden these problems just disappear you know my gut is telling me that that's right is yeah. that the problem lies in our data binding yeah Reactive Cocoa is our Higgs boson. <laughs> Just the one missing piece. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm looking yeah. at lunch and it's killing me. I'm so hungry. <laughs> you want to wrap it up? Yeah. All right, let's wrap it up. So show notes for this episode are going to be found at podcasts.thoughtbot.com slash buildphase slash 52. And as always, we'd like to hear from you. So email us at buildphase at thoughtbot.com or reach out on Twitter at buildphase. And as always, ratings and reviews on iTunes are much appreciated. Boom. Yes.